Before we start, I just want to say that there are areas in our life that we have the word of God and we just turn to the Bible or chapters or many verses all over the Bible and say, here's how this is to happen. Like forgiveness. There's a lot in the Bible, stories, examples, a lot of verses on forgiveness. But there's other things that you would think would have a lot of verses and they don't. If you look at the Bible on marriage, there's very, very little. Now, if I were God, that would be the biggest book of the Bible, how to be married, right? Chapter one, men are from Mars, and chapter two, women are, women are from Venus or whatever. The second biggest book in the Bible, how to raise kids, or maybe even that would be doubly sized, I don't know. But there's very little in the Bible on either subject. So we discover in the book of Proverbs that God instructs us that many of the life hacks, many things we need to know about making it successfully through life, God has designed it through connections with other people. And so in the Proverbs, he tells his son, seek after wisdom, seek after knowledge, seek after understanding. Don't accept everything. It starts with the fear of God or a deep reverence for God. God, I want to love my wife as Christ loves the church. And I'm seeking now after what does that mean in my marriage relationship? You loving your wife as Christ loves the church or you loving your husband may look very different because they're unique personalities, aren't they? We find the same with raising kids. Every kid is so unique. Every person is so unique. And so the Bible says, have the older women teach the younger women. Have the older men teach the younger men. And then people to use their gifts. You know, one of the gifts of the Spirit is the gift of wisdom. I think James Dobson has that gift, doesn't he? Through his skill of being a psychologist and mostly just being an awesome Christian guy, he really has unlocked how to be married and how to raise kids. You know, for years it was unneeded. When my parents were struggling in their marriage in the 60s, there was no James Dobson. There was no books on how to be married. Everybody just did what the generation before did and it worked out great. Everybody just raised their kids the way they were raised. It worked great. But then there was the breakdown of the family that started after World War II and manifested itself in the 60s and the 70s. And all of a sudden, James Dobson in the 70s comes out of the clear blue saying, you need to communicate with your spouse. That's revelation. That's incredible. Well, how would I talk to them? Well, let me do a chapter on, on what to say and how to say it and what's good communication and bad communication. The world was pushing, don't spank your kids. Don't, you know, as Dr. Spock was telling everybody the opposite of what the Bible said. And James Dobson had to come and say, Dr. Spock is nuts. <laughs> don't listen to that guy. Here's what the Bible says. And, and this also is common sense. So you need to spank your kid. Well, how would I do that? Well, let me give you some guidelines on how to spank your kids. And so this is what God wants, is us to make connections. And so when an older couple takes a newer couple that are getting married and they start discipling them and talking to them about how to be married, it forms this connection. It's interesting, the younger people of today, the college kids of today, cherish connections with old people like most of you and me. 
So it's not like a generation gap. They'll actually do it. They just don't know how to do it. They don't know how to have communication. I thought of a comic somebody should put where you have this group of people around a, a Starbucks table and they're all sitting there on their cell phones, on their cell phones. And one of the guys texts his friends, oh, I wish you were here at Starbucks with us. We're having a great time. And then the text comes, look to your right. <laughs> oh, man, you're here. That's great. Okay. They don't know what to do when somebody is there. The art of conversation is gone. So now the new James Dobson is like, well, here's how you have a conversation about something other than the weather or politics or sports. And now we have to learn those skills again. And a lot of you are rusty. A lot of you find it difficult, stressful, tiring to carry on a, a conversation about spiritual things, about more important things than politics, more important things than sports. And uh, those are skills that we need to sharpen up and then to not just have them, but to be able to communicate to them how to do it, be a good example of it. And so today, much of what I'm saying today is, is revelation to a lot of people, common sense to some of you people, but uh, there are a number of Bible verses in the Bible on this, but it's a much bigger subject than even can be spoken on in a morning. So I give you a lot of notes. I doubt we'll be able to cover all of that. But we find ourselves in Ephesians 6, 4, and youth fathers do not provoke your children to wrath but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So we have three things there. Number one, don't provoke them to wrath. Number two, bring them up in training, which is the word discipline, spanking. The same word used in Hebrews 12, God spanking us. And then admonition is reproof or correction. So you need to spank them, you need to rebuke them, but you need to do it in a way that doesn't embitter them. In essence, that is what it's saying. Now, although this is instruction is obviously to both parents, in particular, he writes to the fathers. Why? Not the fathers and the mothers. Why the fathers only? Because fathers have a unique ability to represent God the Father and to strengthen and heal or destroy their children. So Satan is shrewd, right? How do you destroy a whole group of the society? Just don't have the fathers in the homes. That's what, that's what happened with the African-American population for, for 100 years now. They're being raised by their mothers and their grandmothers. I was going into the prison for four years, many years as a chaplain. And one of the things I kept teaching us over and over again was 80% of the guys in prison never had a dad. Interesting, isn't it? And so I'll just simply ask you, what is, how good is your relationship with your father? I would never marry somebody that didn't have a good relationship with their father. John Eldridge in his book, Wild at Heart, he says the father is the one to answer for each one of his kids, male and female, an important question. To each little boy or man, the father needs to convey to the son. The son is asking this question. 
Am I enough? Do I have what it takes to make it in life? And the father needs to be able to encourage the son and express in words over several situations over time. You have what it takes. You are enough. You will be successful. You will do well. And every little girl, every little princess, every woman needs this question answered. Dad, am I lovely enough? Am I pretty or beautiful enough? And the father needs to be the one He has to be the one to communicate, you are lovely enough. Interesting that the soul that doesn't get that answered by their dad will limp through life, will be the walking wounded through life. So often people look to their coaches or their teachers or many of us spiritual leaders or pastors to fill that void. I I learned this early on in pastoring, one of my first counseling appointments. I was 24, counseling a guy who was 70 years old, who was just distraught over the fact that his dad had never told him he loved him, and he had just bitterness towards his dad. Of course, his dad had been dead 25 years longer than I had been alive. But he just couldn't get past it. He was stuck. And he did not look at me as a 24-year-old guy. He looked at me as somebody much older than him, even though he was 70. And I, I, I was trying to wrap my mind around this. And I came to realize, to him, I am the second authority in his life after his dad. His dad failed him and he's gone. And he needs affirmation from the next dad figure, even though I'm 50 years younger, he needs it. And that was just a a wisdom from God. And then through much studying and time, I, I realized this to be true. So thoughts on the importance of dads or fathers. I I have written down a lot of stuff, and I'm going to read a number of this. You have it in your hand to go over it later. Um, We'll get as far as we can. But for a person to make it through life without the encouragement of a father is very hard. And if you don't have a father in your life, as many people today, 50% of America is still divorcing if they marry at all have a very absentee dad. It is very hard to be a courageous person unless your father in body and spirit are behind you and you sense that power of a positive force of fatherhood behind you. It's very demoralizing for a person not to have that support of their father. If the father rejects his child or doesn't make a relationship with the child, either way, if you don't have a relationship, it feels as if you've been rejected. It makes the child feel like they are of little worth. A person can recover from it, but it's very, very hard. 
And again, there can be a coach or a teacher or a leader or a pastor who can, to a secondary degree, heal that wound and give them a, enough strength to, to have self-worth and to have the courageous spirit to go out and tackle the world. A father should put the highest standard of behavior on his child and put pressure on his child to make the best he or she can be. So a father is to be a, an aggressive force of, of saying, I'm expecting better of you. I'm expecting more of you. There, you are not the average Joe out there. You are superior to the average Joe. And that is why I expect better than D's on your report card. Or that's why I expect better of you than quitting that job that you had for a week and didn't like. Or I thought better of you not to be a bully and pick on somebody that you would be the hero to, to, to transfer that. But not too much pressure that he hurts or discourages that child. And it really depends on the uniqueness of that child, isn't it? The balance to get that right between the two is very, very hard. Putting expectations and pressure on them, but not so much that you hurt them or crush them. Thoughts on the importance of dad's fathers to be the leader in the home. Men need to be the leader. Also, they need to be the spiritual head in the home. Today, if you watch sitcoms, what do you have? The guy is a lazy bum. <laughs> And the wife leads. Men should not be a cliche. The man is carnal person, uninterested in spiritual things. The, it's a woman's stuff. Uh, they think they should stay at home while the wife is pursuing God and the kids. And what is that telling the kids? Oh, real men don't actually have anything to do with God. That's women and children's stuff. It's caught. Maybe not taught, but caught. The men need to be the spiritual, passionate one in the home towards the things of God. Thoughts on how fathers injure their children. Giving a distracted time to each child. When we as fathers are busy, we run to ask them. All we do is say, you know, what's, did you get your homework done? Did you get your chores done? and you're watching news and sitting in the chair, you're taking time, you're not taking time to develop the skills able to spend time with your own children and sharing with them also your life. So how is it going to have the ability to, to the heart of a man's the deep well, the man of understanding is drawing it out. And as a father, you've got to develop those skills to draw out kids to share you more than just what's on the surface. They need that connection. My father knows. So often you hear, well, my go to mom. Mom knows. She understands. She's the compassionate one. She's the understanding one. The father needs to be that as well. And also, for you to share out of the depths of your well, your life. The things that are important to you spiritually or at work or in your own parents' lives. Dads need to have the skills to share so it's a mutual connection. It's not just the kids telling them, but it's the parents or the dad putting it into them as well. Hypocrisy is the thing that devastates most kids. 80% of kids who graduate from high school do not go to church. 
The 20% that do, they don't go to the same church their parents go to. Very rarely does that happen anymore, and it's devastating the church. But once a kid turns 12 or 13 years old, his brain has grown to the ability to be able to do algebra or to do critical thinking or abstract thinking. And now he's not just listening to what parents are saying, he catches on what parents are doing. And if the parents are telling them to do one thing and they have a different standard, the kids will pick up on that and quickly get embittered over that. One other thing that I, I find. And so on the hypocrisy thing, you know, my wife and I, we're the same wherever we go. We, we're just like this at home, the family reunion, wherever we're at, this is who we are. We never said to our kids, don't tell anybody what dad said to mom last night. Don't, don't tell anybody dad kicked the dog and he had to take it to the veterinarian. You know, don't tell people what we watched on TV. Don't, that kind of hypocrisy on kids, it, it's a scar that, that often damages for a lifetime because we can't be who we are and let the church know it because we have an impression or the church has an impression we're more spiritual than we really are. Um, and then the video games. It's amazing how these addictive things are in kids' lives today, young married people today, that they cannot control. Literally destroying. I, I, I just saw an article on a movie star who literally his, his entire um, life had tanked because of video games. And he actually had to go to, I guess, a video game anonymous group and had to get a psychologist and, and he cannot play even for one second any video game because it is that addictive. My son Nathan had told me that many marriages in his world, they were dead because the guy is, he comes home, hi kids, hi, hi eat some food, down in the basement playing video games till three in the morning, gets two hours sleep, up at six, goes to work, repeats, repeats, all day Saturday till he passes out Saturday night, all day Sunday till he passes out Sunday night, just on video games, very uninterested in his marriage, very uninterested in the kids, and, uh, and ends the marriage. Well, let's go on here. So you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath. That's the first part of what we want to look at. Colossians says it this way, don't provoke your children to be discouraged. So wrath, anger, discouragement, different things, but yet the father is the one who is able to heal or kill those areas of their kids' lives. Interesting, in the pagan world in which Paul is talking, the father was a dictator. In that Roman culture, you had slaves and you had Romans. That's all there was. And and they were very much a superior person. And the dad is the top in the home and over all the slaves and over all the family. And women are uh, cattle and kids are cattle and slaves are cattle. Everything, everybody is just there to serve his wants and needs and do what he says when he says, end of story. There wasn't a sense of family and connection. Wood in his commentary said this, 
The gospel introduced a fresh element into parental responsibility by insisting that the feelings of the child must be taken into consideration. In a society where the father's authority was absolute, this represented a revolutionary concept. Christianity, as it has done every time it reaches a new continent, turns the world upside down, especially towards the value of women and especially towards the value of children. Each time, it gives a different paradigm and say, no, the way you're viewing your wife, the way you're viewing women, the way you're viewing children is demonic and wrong, and it needs to be the opposite. And of course, as they learn of God their father, they begin to understand it more. How are some ways that dad can bring their kids to anger or frustration or discouragement? By being unkind, having an overcritical attitude that torments the child instead of training them, being angry in your discipline, not giving them time or not giving them time to explain themselves. It's just sort of like spank them, scold them, send them to the room. I don't care. And they're not able to explain. It says here to bring them up. Interesting, it's the same word as in Ephesians 5.29 where it says no one, no man ever hates his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes, talking about his wife. The word nourish here, the, the first meaning is a bodily nourishment and uh, the, by nature of the body and mind and soul, strengthening them. And then to bring them up spiritually, in the word and in the Lord. Interesting, the word here for training, correction, or admonition, reproof, we, we find Paul talking to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, using these same words. All scripture is given. With the scripture, he says, it's good for doctrine, but here's the other thing. The scripture will reprove. The scripture will correct. The scripture will give instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped. So let me just simply say this. Parents, your job in instructing, your job in punishing your kids or correcting your kids or rebuking your kids, it needs to come out of the word. My goal was to get the kids by the age of 12, they knew the whole Bible. We had a storybook Bible left all the genealogies and some of the more adult content out. But the kids, when they were babies, like, read another one, read another one, read another one. It's midnight. You're supposed to be bed at eight. No, one more, more, you know. And you're just, you, the kids are just, they can't get enough. And there are several years like that. I can remember having a baby in this arm, a two-year-old on this side, a three-year-old on this side, and trying to hold the book and them turning the pages and sitting for hours and hours and hours. And that was my goal. The time they were 12, they'd know all the Bible. In Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he shall not depart from it. This is a general truth. Most of the time, that happens. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 6 and 7, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Boy, key important thing. You don't want a dead religious heart sharing the word to the kids because a dead religious heart produces a dead religious heart. There's a saying that says, a sermon created in the mind will reach the mind. 
A sermon created in the heart will reach the heart. But a sermon created in prayer will change lives. And that's pretty much what I'm doing most of the week is just crying out, Lord, bring the people. Don't let Satan hinder one little, one little sheep. Give us all an open heart, a teachable spirit. Let us not come into church with the religious attitude. My number one goal coming to church today is we get out of here on time or early, uh, you know, that we just get rid of that spirit. And just come and just say, we're giving God the first and the best. And every week we come, it should be unique. Every week we come, God should do something significant in all of us. Right? I, I, I've, I think often it's just the heart of the person. You know, you get a brand new Christian in here. Do they care what kind of music? No, they're just worshiping, worshiping. You get a brand new Christian in here. I, I am, I'm equal to Einstein. You know, I say, God is love. Oh, my goodness. That sermon changed my life, you know. And um, it's because of that heart. That's the heart that dads should have, this passionate heart for the things of God. So, again, dads, a big part of your work, and moms also, is just a fight to keep yourself, as Jude says, in the love of God, right? Ephesians the Ephesus church lost their first love. Have just a genuine love for the Lord. Get up Sunday morning. We're going to church. This is the most exciting thing happening in the week. This is, our, this is our pivotal point of our week where we put God first. And it's from that hinge that we live the rest of the week. And it's essential that we don't forsake the gathering together of the brethren. So back in Deuteronomy 6, verse 6 and 7, in these words which I command you today, you shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently in your children. You shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And then in Deuteronomy 11, it says something very similar, but then it also says to have all over your house, on your doorposts, on your gates, on your cupboards, in your house. And I have been, you know, in our, in our home, we, we often had on the mirrors in the bathroom, Bible verses that, that was sort of the theme for that time. We had them on the walls. We had them on picture frames. We had them on their bedroom door, on all the bedroom doors, uh, on their walls, just scriptures or thoughts or stories or quotes. Everywhere you went, inspirational <laughs> teachings going on. And uh, this is the thing. It's just something you're, chewing on day and night, meditating on day and night. You, you're not leaving it, and your kids are just churning in the word of God and, and truth, and the truth that will set them free later on in life. Well, he goes on to say, don't only not provoke your children to wrath. Hey, I haven't taken my kids off. I've done a great job this week. No, no, there's more to that. But bring them up in training and admonition of the Lord. Again, the training word is the word for scourge, chasten, whip. If you look at it, it's a whip, whipping the kids. God does it. Now, some people, I understand, will say, well, I don't, I don't believe in that. Oh, okay, you know what? I'm not going to be here and tell you how to raise your kids or not to raise your kids. All I do ask is this, that you agree with me, the Bible says to do it. The Bible may be wrong. Okay, that's... That's your point. The Bible is old-fashioned and antique, and, and that's the way they did it 2,000 years ago. But, man, we've evolved since then. Spanking is something that should not happen in modern society. 
That's fine if that is your position. But let's just agree together that the Bible does talk about spanking the kids several times in many locations in different genres. It definitely talks about the importance of the rod putting foolishness out of the child. And even going so far to say if you don't spank your kids, you don't love your kids, you hate them. So to give that training and admonition to the Lord, it's encouragement and rebuke. It must be combined with training and teaching. Rebuke, but yet encouragement. Training, scourging, chastening, but yet teaching. It's not just spanking. I, there's parents that, that's their, their, one, their, their one-hit wonders. Go brush your teeth. Uh, in a minute, spank, 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 spank. You know? Eat all your peas on your plate. Um, I don't want to. Ah, spank, 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 spank. They're a one-hit wonder. Everything's spanking, and it's abusive home. And when I start talking about spanking, they go back into a very dark place going, ah, Brian's evil, because my parents tormented me. My parents abused me with spanking, and I swore I'd never spank my kids, and I didn't, and they turned out okay. And, 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 and it's like, to you, you who had parents who were a one-hit wonder, all they knew about raising kids is you spanked them. I'm sorry. And it is horrible. It was never meant that way. But yet, at the same time, there's a good way to spank. And that's what we're going to cover right now. Ten ingredients of good discipline. John Wilmont, the Earl of Rochester, said, Before I was married, I had three theories about raising children. Now I have three children and no theories. (laughs) After raising four kids, I can agree with that. It's easier to talk about it than doing it. And I just might add, these things, these principles are also for grandparents. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says, Timothy, I see a genuine faith in you that was in your mother and your grandmother. And then in 2 Timothy 3, he says, the things you've learned in your childhood, it's the word brephos, it's the word for infancy, when you were an infant. All the things you learned from, again, your mother and your grandmother. So don't think this isn't important for grandparents. You say, man, I really sort of missed the boat on my children. But you got grandchildren. Try not to miss the boat with your grandkids. And also to encourage your kids to help them. Yeah, I've had my kids a few times give me a scenario. And what do you think, Dad? I got nothing. <laughs> I'm praying for you. <laughs> you know, that's been the conversation most of the time. Because there are just so many unique situations that there is really no standard answer for, is it? I think parents are every day on their knees going, give me the gift, the word of wisdom. Give me the word of knowledge. Give me the, 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 the gift of miracles, anything. I'll take it. Help me raise these kids. Dobson said this, the parent must be con- convinced himself that discipline is not something he does to the child, but discipline is something he does for the child. So what is a good discipline? First of all, action, to actually do it. One of the greatest problems we have as parenting is a tendency not to do something. We just don't do anything. When you just ignore it, I hope it goes away. You know, the ostrich, put your head in the ground and hope things get better when your head comes back out. When you don't do anything, it only causes confusion and makes things worse. It can almost seem as if a child were the one in control. So parents, let me just say this. 
There is an infinite way to raise kids. Okay, there's principles, and very few of them, I would add, in the Bible that need to be followed. But you need to be together. You need to be on the same page. And so if this is something you're going to be disciplining your kid on, whether it's mom there he gets disciplined or dad he gets disciplined, you're consistent. And the kids can't play you one against another. When dad's not around, I can get away with this. When mom's not around, I can get away with this. And dad says, don't tell mom. (laughs) And uh, that kind of inconsistency will breed bitterness in the child. The Duke of Windsor... (laughs) said, the thing that impresses me most about America is the way the parents obey their children. (laughs) That was back in the 1800s all the way up to 70s. We we see a couple of examples of this. Jacob, remember when his daughter in Genesis 34 was raped, Jacob's was like, I'm I'm just going to ignore it. I'm not going to do anything. It embittered his sons to go and to do a very immoral thing by... I won't tell you. You can read the story on your own. It was, it's brutal. David did nothing to Ammon when he raped his half-sister, Tamar. And again, that emboldened Absalom to be embittered, who eventually tried to overthrow David. James Dobson said, I, love, I said to my children, I love you too much to let you behave that way. See, it's, it's that spirit of discipline. Proverbs 13, 24, he who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Proverbs 19, 18, chase your son while there is hope and do not set your heart on his destruction. If you haven't been disciplined as children and all of a sudden now they're behaving like teenagers and now you want to start disciplining him, they're not going to have it. It's a completely different system than they have been raised under. It actually has to start early and consistent. That's the key, consistently. No anger in it. That's sort of a, an obvious thing. You, you, you don't want to be pounding on your kid. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And so you don't want to be out of anger spanking your kid, basically taking revenge on them. Or your kid sees an angry face. That is not the way to discipline. That is not the way God disciplines us. How does God discipline us? He does it to teach us something. That's the idea of admonition. It's a discipline, a punishment, but there's an instruction in it. Here's a great 10 list thing that uh, is by James Kessler, something that things we should, we say and don't instruct. In other words, they're not helpful. And this is often all the things parents say that they should never say. It's not helpful. Do as I say, not as I do. (laughs) I'm the adult. I'm right. Because I said so. That's why. You want to be, you want to be what? This room's a pigsty. Can't you do anything right? Where did you find him? You did what? (laughs) Do you mind if we talk about something else? I'm kind of busy right now. Could you come back later? So how does instruction work? Well, let's talk about younger children versus older children. And younger children, you take the time to clearly tell the child what was wrong with their behavior. Something 
it may, sometimes it may be appropriate to use a Bible verse. Almost all the time it's right to use a Bible verse. Don't just spank them with the paddle and think you're done. You've got you to gotta tell them what they did wrong and then for them to repeat it back to you. What was wrong with their behavior? And then most importantly, what should have their behavior been? After you spank them, hold them, pray for them, then let them sit in the room until they're finished crying. With older children, you need to talk about why you are concerned. You got to take time. Questions parents need to ask themselves. Have you thought about the rule you, you set on the behavior you want changed? Sometimes the parents haven't really thought through it. They're just annoyed and, and I'm going to spank you because you've annoyed me. There's really no other reason than, than they're, they're just behavior is not what you want it be to be. You need to ask yourself, what is the behavior? What is the crime? What is the, the, the behavior you want them to have? Are you just upset because they're inconveniencing you? Or are you really concerned about them? Is your set of rules based on some whim or something that is important? Do you have a picture in your head as to what kind of adult you're guiding your children to be? You should tell them. Give them that vision. I'm not talking about what career you picked out for them, but what character qualities from the scriptures you want to develop in your young man or woman. I'll just tell you this. As a dad, dinner table was that time. You know, teenage boys can scarf their food down in two seconds, and my wife and my teenage daughter take them a while, and then they scarf their food. Hey, I'm out of here. It's like, no. Nobody leaves till everybody's done eating. So take your time. And then I would usually read a fun book, you know, Tom Sawyer or uh, something from C.S. Lewis, The Lion, Witcher, of the Road. We'd read books, and they would enjoy it, and we'd talk about that. But everybody had to share something about what went with their day. But I would always come to the table with a vision. This is who we are as the Newberries. This is why we don't watch R-rated movies. This is why we do go to church every week. When you're a teenager, you're going to say, hey, I've had enough church. I don't want to go anymore. Every teenager, every teenager does that. The day you ask that question, just know the answer is no. So you don't even need to bother answering it, asking the question. When I'm at church, you're at church, period. Under my house, as for me and my house, this is the way we're serving the Lord. We pray for our food. And then I would give them the vision. Someday you guys are going to be adults. Here's how it should look as adults. Someday you guys are going to all have kids and, and you're going to be uncles and aunts. And this is the way to connect with your nephews and nieces and how to connect as a family, even though you live in different locations. As adults, you're going to go through a time where you wonder, as a single person or as a married couple, should you go to church? Should you read the Bible daily? Well, let me tell you why you should. And those things I did at a very early age. It's like, look, I know you're two years old, but someday you're going to be a teenager. And you're going to ask not to go to church. Don't bother. I mean, believe me, they heard that their whole life. And, uh, and so again, have a vision. What is, what is an awesome adult look like? What's an awesome businessman look like? What does it look like to have a godly home? And I would talk about the things that I did wrong, that we did wrong in our marriage. We did wrong in raising them and what it should have looked like. Let's talk about spanking in particular. 
Again, some choose not to spank. I'm not going to judge you for that. But the Bible does say in Proverbs 22:15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. So we're all, we're all born sinners, but we're also not just born sinners. We're born fools. And, and the, the, the spanking, the pain in the butt helps the brain change, right? That little shock treatment that goes from the butt to the brain, it works. That's what God says. But I would tell my kids, you know, first I would do it not in public. I don't want to humiliate them, but I would set them down and say, your consequence is not just a timeout. Your consequence isn't just me telling you what you did wrong. Your consequence this time is going to be a spanking. Oh, please, no, no, don't, help, they're killing me, they're killing me. I haven't even touched them yet, you know. And when we're done, I'm going to pray for you, and you're going to sit in here until you're done crying. But it would be a very controlled thing, never out of anger. If I was angry, which happens quite a bit, I would just say, go sit on your bed until I'm ready to come in which I had to just sort of calm myself down because I didn't want to hit them out of anger. I think that's wrong. But um, there's that little foolishness that has to end. And I would tell them, I'm causing pain to you now because these kind of choices, when you're later a teenager in in life, is going to cause pain to you. So do this kind of behavior, pain in your butt right now, When you're older and I'm not around and I can't spank you, understand life will spank you. You'll reap what you sow or God will spank you. But your foolishness will hurt you later in life. So I'm not going to be there to know about or spank you. But remember these things. Wisdom breeds fruitfulness. Foolishness brings hurt. And not just to you, but often the hurt is to others far, far even more. Well, <clears throat> Proverbs 23, 13, and 14. Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. <laughs> uh, even though my boys, that was their thing. I actually heard him talking one time. Just start screaming right away like you're in a lot of pain. And uh, mom will quit right away. Dad, you know, a couple more, couple more times. Just make it sound like you're in. And then as soon as they're done, hold your leg. And Oh, my gosh. You, you didn't hit me in my butt. You hit me in my leg. You know, they had this whole thing worked out. And uh, anyway, but the rod of, it says, uh, even though they won't die, you shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. So, boy, the wisest man that ever lived uh, said, uh, you know, this is a good way to, to help them escape hell, hellish life on earth, or maybe eternal hell, we don't know. Well, I have here a list of questions that people often ask, what age I think two years old, they don't understand what's happening. Uh, or, two month, or three months old, they don't understand what's happening. A two-year-old does know what's happening. I think a paddle rather than a hand, never in anger. We talked about that already. And uh, how often should a child be spanked? Again, I think it's important to, to understand that it's all about a moral issue they're getting spanked. Ruth Graham, if you'd skip down to number six, so number five is beyond spanking, where you give them timeouts or take uh, privilege away from them. But picking your battles is important. And Ruth Graham said this in her book on homemade. 
With our five children, I had to decide what was the moral issue and what was a non-moral issue, simply a part of them growing up. Tracking mud into the house is a no-no, but it's not a moral issue. I wouldn't spank him for that. Children tend to be noisy when they're playing, and you feel like saying, shh, but it's not a moral issue. However, I would call disobedience a moral issue. I would call respect a moral issue, and of course, stealing or lying a moral issue. So you look at it this way. If you've got $100 to spend on what's important for your kid, don't spend it all in one place. Don't spend the $100 on in, of influence you have on the things that aren't all that important. I hope that helps some of you. It definitely uh, clears things up in my mind. No public humiliation. Don't spank them in public. Sometimes it can't be helped. You, you have to. But 99% of the time, it's something that's private with you and the child. And then on apologies and restitutions, you need to help them to understand they need to apologize. Or if they've broken something or stole something, they have to fix it or they have to pay for it. They have to return it. And don't uh, give them an easy out in that way. And then number nine there, sometimes grace is enough. I, I love that. There was times my wife would do it, saying, okay, I was going to spank you for this. You deserve a spanking. But sometimes God has mercy on us. Let me tell you what mercy is. Sometimes God gives us grace when we deserve not to have grace. Here's why I'm not going to spank you. But I am going to pray for you, and I let you know I'm going to do doubly as much if you do in the future. But um, sometimes grace is enough. And then always, they should never have a sense when they're bad or they have done something very, very wrong that you don't love them. There always should be a sense of love, not anger. Always in discipline, they know that you love them. In Revelation 3.19, it says, as many as I love, God speaks, I rebuke and chasten, which is the word whips. Interesting, Ernest Hemingway tells a story of when he was in Madrid, Spain. And uh, a father had put into the newspaper to, and wrote a letter to his teenage son, Dear Paco, meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. The next day, 800 Pacos showed up. They were all seeking forgiveness. They were all seeking the love of a father. Dads, you got a big responsibility. Lord, we lay this at your feet right now, and we know there's so much more to be said on these subjects. There's so much more that I'd love to have a group discussion right now, knowing that there'd be some amazing insights from these very experienced parents. But Lord, we, we get it. Satan is targeting the home. Satan is trying to busy dad so much and grandpa so much to, to keep their influence from gaining the power it should. So many dads completely separated from their kids. Satan is having a heyday. Here we are, Lord. We'll step in as men of God, as leaders, as pastors, as coaches and teachers. We'll step up and, and it's not as good as the dad, but it, it can be a, a healing bridge to keep them from doing some very rebellious, hurtful things because they're in so much pain themselves. Here we are, Lord. Use us.
And cause us, Lord, now to be disciples as we've been discipled this morning, that we would take these notes or take the wisdom from these notes and share it with our children, our grandchildren, that we would be able to strengthen and help families be the way God intended it to be. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.